Hi, Vicky. Hi, Shane. Imagine you are in the field, like you're a scientist out in the field, and mm-hmm. or not, or just some person out in nature. Just a human. Yeah, and you are interrupted by a cassowary. Do you know what? Do you, first off, do you know what a cassowary is? Uh, I sort of did. I googled them to reacquaint myself. <laughs> Every yeah, no, I don't want to imagine what you're saying. I don't want to see one in real life. They're so scary. They are terrifying raptor birds uh yeah and and so um yeah i weirdly enough um i i'm not gonna say i have a story about a cassowary but i used to and and, <laughs> and folks might if, if folks have been listening for quite some time uh, they might be right. familiar with this but i used to work uh slash volunteer part-time at our zoo here in dc and uh at least at the time i haven't been to the zoo in years but at least at the time they had a couple cassowaries i believe Mm. and something about i I don't know if this is for all zoos but for ours at least if something really bad happens that's actually a code green um because they don't want to freak people out if something you know what i mean they want to say like code red right though so everything's reversed um and i actually don't think they had code red i think it was like orange yellow red or orange yellow green whatever but if a code green and and code greens aren't there aren't many things that can be code greens. Uh, it's basically I don't know at the zoo. Well, but like it's basically if a really bad animal, like like the highest, like the worst worst. Yeah, worst. like a really predatory one gets out. And uh, from talking to a lot of keepers and everything, I would always ask them like, "What's the what's the animal you would be most afraid of?" And to almost a person, it wasn't the lions or the cheat. Like cheetahs actually aren't that bad, or even some of like the wolves. I don't know some of the kind of stereotypical things people would think like oh my gosh you'd be so scared of it cassowaries they are afraid of the cassowaries because yeah they are prehistoric raptor birds <laughs> are they just murderous like- I, I don't want yeah i i don't i don't want to put uh i don't want to anthropomorphize my perceptions onto these birds <laughs> but just like looking at them i am very impressed and simultaneously quite terrified <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're they're like space creature birds <laughs> space as well. Birds. <laughs> no, really. They're like made up horror movie birds. They are, they are, yeah. So so I um I'm happy that I was never in a situation where no. I came across one. Uh-uh. <laughs> Science is fascinating. But don't just take my word for it. Join us as we hear stories from scientists for everyone. I'm Shane Hanlon. And I'm Vicki Thompson. And this is Third Pod from the Sun. So I certainly don't wish a cassowary upon you, Vicki. Oh, thanks. That's that's like the least you can do, caring about not wanting the most dangerous bird ever to... Hurt me, thank you. You know, anytime, Vicky. I'm I'm really here for you. Uh, and yeah, frankly, if if one of them did get close to me, I would just I would just run, like run far, far away. Um, and our guest today, a scientific illustrator, experienced this actually for real out in the field. What? Yeah, they like ran into one for real. So a, a cassowary actually just peered over his shoulder as he <gasps> was just intently sketching some leaf. Uh, yeah, so I can't wait to hear more. And so for that, I'm going to bring in producer Anupama Chandrasekharan to tell us more. Hi, Anupama. Hi, Shane. 
Anupama, who did you speak to for this episode? So I spoke to Yoris Derat. He's a scientific illustrator, I mean, an artist, basically, who's been drawing flora and fauna as far as he can remember, like since he was a kid. And so, I mean, in the day and age now where things like photographs are just so prevalent, can illustration still be relevant? I I kind of think so because, you know, I see photographs all the time and now it's kind of just become kind of the rigueur. But when I see an illustration, it actually catches my attention. And it's also got this like old world feel to it, an old world appeal. And it's got more aesthetics, I think, than a photograph. But, you know, what I really found interesting was that as as an illustrator, you think he'd have a, a, you know, desk job, right? But turns out that fieldwork is really integral to his work. Okay, I'm excited about this one. Let's hear it. So I'm Joris Derat. I'm from Belgium. I'm a full-time scientific illustrator. I've been that for the last 10 years. And yeah, fieldwork is a very important aspect of my job because I always try to see my subjects in the field. Yeah, preferably in their natural habitat whenever possible. So yeah, I get a sense of their of their character and how they behave. So when I make the eventual illustration, I can really try to put the essence of the animal in there. Could you tell us a little bit about what inspired you to become a nature illustrator? I've been drawing as long as I can remember, really. And yeah, my interest in the natural world was sparked at a very early age as well, because my parents were both teachers and we traveled a lot. I remember when I was a kid, I I always could sit in front of the car because I was great at spotting things. So I had to sit in front. And at one point, I thought I saw some sand walking when we were driving through the Atlas Mountains in Morocco. And it turned out to be my very first chameleon I saw. And I was also like very inspired by natural history plates and 19th century explorers and and the art they made, like especially the the aesthetic part of the plates, like the the combination of the illustrations and the typography. What were some of your first field experiences that made you think that, well, this could be it? I got two actually, where I can think of. Like the first one was still when I was very young. We were on this trip in Scandinavia and we we had the canoes with us. And at some point we saw a small island of shore which, which had a big colony of, of puffins on there. And my parents decided like, oh, wow, we, we want to see that. And we took the canoes on the sea, which they aren't really built for. But anyway, we went and we went very close and they were flying by us and they were so curious. And then, yeah, it didn't turn up very good when we returned because the boat yeah, flipped in the waves when we went back to shore because they weren't really built for it. But anyway, in the evening, I made I made sketches of these puffins. And that was really like one moment during my youth that I was like, wow, this is really, really what I love to do. Like, And then later on, like when I made the switch from biology to visual arts at uni, I really tried to include nature in my work. And so the summer before my bachelor project, the first project that I could really 
choose the entire thing what I would do. Uh, we were traveling to Australia, so I had the dream of of doing something with bowerbirds. You know, they're like the the artists of the birds. They built this this cool structures and decorated. They're stunning, aren't they? Yeah, they're they're just amazing. And then like finding the first bower was extremely hard for me. Like I didn't know what to look for. I read about them, but like we were traveling in a group as well. Like it was with with my parents, with friends. But then after a while, I I really got to learn the the birds so good that even from the car, when I saw a specific bush, I could say like there would probably be a bower underneath, and I was right in many of the cases. So that's when I really learned the importance of field work. Like the the better you know your subject, the better your project will be, and you know what you're talking about, and like. I know there's the internet today, so you can draw whatever you want. You find references enough, but if you don't understand the species, I guess it's it's. I feel a bit handicapped. You spoke of how important it is to be in the field. Could you connect that to your whole process of working, and? explain what it is like to work in the field by giving us some examples and why that is integral to your work if i worked on my raptor and owl's book for example like my parents have a little cottage in the in the forest in sweden so i lived there for two months during winter which was pretty challenging because like every time i needed to go to the supermarket i had to get this old land rover started and get the snow chains on and see that I get, get off the hill safely. and But it was great because it was like minus 25 degrees Celsius out there. And I saw about an observation uh, like five days in a row of the great gray owl. And I always wanted to see them hunting like in the snow. like So I was invited by these people. And in the morning, I got to see these this owls hunting. And I think like... You can really study how how they move, the tactics they use. Like sometimes they sit on on this perch before catching the mice. Sometimes they hover above the snow and then drop before getting up with the mice. But it's it's these moments that really they inspire me. Not not only do they inspire me to to start at these illustrations, but also like you you get the familiar with their anatomy and you also get like a better sense of how you will be you will visualize the action need to show how cunning they are right yeah yeah and these expressions i feel like the best way to to learn their characters is just to see them move and see them do their thing I did field work, as we've talked about before, but I wasn't an animal behaviorist when I was a researcher. Um, and so I wouldn't have thought observing and studying animal behavior would be so integral to illustrating, I guess. That makes sense, because I guess as much as it is about documenting everything correctly, it's also about sort of capturing the spirit of the thing that you're drawing, too. So, yeah, I mean, no, I, I totally agree with you, Vicky. It's, it is about the spirit and, you know, to actually kind of show a kind of a snapshot of an animal behavior, you know, you really need to observe it on the field and you have to really imbibe those qualities of that 
you know, plant or a bird or animal or a cat or whatever you see. Um, and well, having said that, you know, his his field work, Yoris's field work isn't necessarily just about being outdoors. It's also about, you know, say, for example, a visit to the museum, you know, where he can goes behind the scenes and he checks out specimens. That also is part of his field work. So can you tell me all the different ways in which the different kinds of field work that you do, like even going to the museum is field work, for instance, right? Well, the the most flexible kind is I travel and I keep a nature journal and everything that I see that it's a special or, or that catches my eye, I will sketch or, or, or I make notes of them and I keep these journals constantly. So I bring them with me. During these travels, it's often a bit of finding a balance. Will I be sketching them from live the whole day or will I be photographing them, which give me more time to, to explore more and see more species. So that's always like a hard decision. <laughs> yeah, and then th there are times that, that I need to draw species that are very hard to see or find and then I can visit like the archives of a museum. But Although I, I really love the atmosphere there, it's it's not easy because like the stuffed birds, they're like the, the study skins, actually, they're, they're all like lying on their back. So you can't open the wings or anything. The paws are dried up. They don't have the proper color anymore. So it's only good for specific research to go there. Uh, but still, it, it can help sometimes. Do you have any funny or memorable experiences from field? Yeah, let's take you back to Australia because two years ago I, I was there for a year. Two years ago, that's during the pandemic. Yes, I've been stuck on Tasmania for seven months. I stuck. I don't didn't mind though. <laughs> there were worse places to be stuck. It, even when we arrived in 2019 in November, there were like huge bushfires so we had to change plans from our yeah our tour that we wanted to make from the start so then we we went to Tasmania and when the pandemic broke out we were there later that year we we got we made it back to to Queensland and i remember this time that i uh, i had a lot of assignments coming in because yeah i work freelance i, I don't always know when a commission will, will come in. And I was working on this campsite with my foldable table underneath a rooftop tent in the shade in at the, near a rainforest. And I heard something behind me. And, and like, like I was really scared at, this, at a point because there was like this huge southern cassowary behind me. I'm not, I'm not sure if you know these birds, but they can be so aggressive. And it came toward me and it was like looking at my screen because I was draw drawing a leaf or something. And I really feared for my laptop screen for a second because, <laughs> well, luckily it was more interested in the food that was in the trunk. So that was weird. <laughs> that was a special moment. Can you describe some moments where you were really awestruck with the beauty of what you saw? You know, where you just kept your pen down and you just watched, right? Without drawing, because that is what this kind of canvas deserved 
I actually often ha- have that feeling, but like the thing that pops up in mind now is like last summer I was in Iceland and we hiked to this to this cliff where um, there was like a huge colony of gannets just in front of us and not so far off and they're they're so massive and so many of them and we were so close and there was like no one else and it yeah like I wanted to. St- to start working at my painting and started sketching but I, I just couldn't I, I was just observing them for an hour or so before I took up my pen yeah in Australia at the same moment like when I was looking at the rifle birds is this kind of bird of paradise and they're doing this dance and I wanted to see that for such a long time so when I was there it, it took me a long time before I saw them doing the dance though but even when I saw the, the birds for the first time like yeah it just blew my mind, like observing them, seeing all these these beautiful details, like the way they were moving. I couldn't believe that I was there. Like I felt like in a BBC documentary or something. <laughs> you know, that's that's wild. I've had some compelling memories in the field, but nothing compares to this. I I knew some folks who studied scrub jays. Uh, these are really smart birds in Central Florida who have wild and frankly scary memories, but they're they're honestly not really much to look at. Oh, I only have memories of scary memories of like raccoons and rats in the city. <laughs> I feel like those are that's all I have. Well and I never really what's funny is I didn't really grow up with rats being out in the country, but we definitely had a lot of lot of raccoons. Um but yeah, yeah I, I feel like we're getting we're getting off topic. I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> swing things back to Anupama. <laughs> no, no. I mean, rats really. I I can totally recollect an episode where we were in the Andaman Islands and we lost our oil bottles, and it was because of a huge rat, which we never really thought it was a rat. We just thought somebody <laughs> among the staff stole it, you know. But coming back to Yoris, coming back to Yoris. I mean, what another thing that really struck me about him and about the way he works is is what he is doing to actually be authentic to his work and uh, what he told me was that you know he no longer just kind of jets in and out of places to do his field trip but he actually spends a lot of time like when we when i spoke to him he was actually you know in this long hiatus in greece you know, where he was studying and drawing things. I mean, he's really taking time to do things a little slowly. And I think that really makes his fieldwork quite serious. And it's really about spending many months in some places, sometimes even as long as a year, you know, in the field. Could you list your wish list or your bucket list of places and fieldwork sites that you would like to go to, you know, to actually do drawings of specific creatures, you know, uh, that that you have been very intrigued by? Yeah, well, I think on the top of the list, it's Papua New Guinea to see the birds of paradise and, and bowerbirds. This group of birds have always fascinated me so much. They're just like, yeah, the, the top of the mountain when it comes to evolution. And and I've been in Australia and actually one of my biggest idols, William T. Cooper, he's, he's an Australian artist who, who painted like all the birds of paradise and bowerbirds. He made amazing, amazing books about them. And I actually visited his studio two years ago, which was very cool. And I will go back there later this year. 
But like what I love for the last few years, I've been able to stay for a longer time in a certain place. And that's really like my dream for the future. Like I don't want to visit the country for two weeks and go back home. So I've got the stress of needing to see, wanting to see all of these species in a, in a small time. Like I can work from wherever in the world. So why not work from there for a while? Like I'm in Greece now for a few months. It's it's just great exploring new terrain, finding new species and getting connected with the people and, and seeing how how nature still or doesn't live in their culture. Like Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. Give me a sense of how you have incorporated technology or digital tools in your work. Well, when I grew up, like I went to art school in, in the weekends, like one, one day a week. And that was all traditional, of course. But then like the summer when I decided to start my master's in graphic design, I had a holiday job in the breeding center for endangered Arabian wildlife in the UAE. And I spent like two weeks with the, in the bird department and two weeks in the reptile department. And the head of reptiles, he was working on a field guide at the time of the, the, the snakes of the UAE. And he was a digital artist, so I, I could see his work. And he was working on this with this Wacom tablet. I never saw that, like this big tablet. So yeah, I decided to put all my earnings that I made that month in my first Wacom tablet. In the field, I've tried to work on an iPad, for example, but it this just didn't work for me. Like I still love these traditional techniques, feeling the paper underneath my hand, and like trying to control the watercolor. Uh, I just miss that in my digital work often. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, for me, the big lesson has also been how being on the field, because one would think being an illustrator, you know, being at your desk and drawing is is all, right? Because one of the points you mentioned, actually, if you want to address that bit, you know, what, why does it require so much of homework, right? So much of field work to make a meaningful single drawing? Yeah, well, I look at a lot of work of other artists and I can almost immediately tell when a painting is made from photos and they don't have seen their actual animal. Not always, but often I can see it just because, yeah, the the, the, the posture is is not very typical for that species or, or yeah, there's there's something wrong with with like how it's visualized with the background or I don't know it's it's both both a thing of importance for my work I guess as it is like just highly motivating to be out in the field and inspirational to to start at your work like most of my inspiration of of drawings that I'm doing for myself or even for clients like behavioral things they they just come up in the field without me, yeah, knowing it before I started, before I went there, like. Shane, did you ever draw anything that you studied? Oh no, absolutely not. Uh, that is not that is not a skill that I possess. Uh, and, and I recognize that 
you don't have to be kind of like quote unquote good at drawing, but frankly, it just wasn't for me. Though our colleague Olivia, uh, who has drawn some stuff for the podcast, she's a great example of someone who is good at drawing and can actually draw what she studied in the field. Um, Anupama, do you do you draw? Is this a thing that you possess? I do, and I actually kind of find it a way of you know just mulling over the subject that you know, I'm working on. So for instance, when I did a podcast on fossils, I used to actually draw uh, some of these fossils, you know, and then as you draw, you just get ideas and you understand it a little better or questions crop up, you know, so I find that. So again, I'm not a great artist, but it actually helps me kind of digest that subject a little bit more, you know, when I draw. Yeah. And Vicky, you're a visual artist. Yeah, I really like that. I was actually painting some shells earlier in the week (laughs) and I feel like I never... Like sometimes you're around something so much and you don't really look at it or you realize and when you draw it, you realize, oh, I've never, I've looked at this, but I've never really looked at it until you start drawing it. So maybe, I like that. Maybe this explains part of why I am the way I am and I just don't appreciate the visual beauty around me. That's why I do audio. So I don't actually look at things. <laughs> <laughs> really? Wow. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm sure there's more to that. Yeah. I'm sure, yeah. Well, with that, uh, that is all from Third Pod from the Sun. Thanks so much to Anupama for bringing us the story and to Yoris for sharing his work with us. This episode was produced by Anupama with audio engineering from Colin Warren and artwork by Jay Steiner. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the podcast, so please rate and review us. And you can find new episodes on your favorite podcasting app or at thirdpodfromthesun.com. Thanks all, and we'll see you next week. are they are they like they're like so they're actually not super big they're smaller they're like emu sized i believe there's one that's that's pretty big there's one um my eye just fell on dwarf cassowary are they cuter are they like oh it's just the word i don't know oh wait no oh no that is <laughs> possibly worse it's got like a bulbous oh my gosh now I need like to it looks like its whole head is beak I imagine it might not be hard, but it looks like perhaps its whole head is hard. Oh, yeah. But yeah, that's like, it's, it's they're got just, like a big, they're prehistoric. <gasps> no, that's true. Oh, my God. I just keep saying, oh, my God. They are, cassowaries are 3.2 to 4.4 feet tall. They've got like uh Spike heads, oh, spine man. heads. I wish this is this is like one of the few times where I wish we were a video medium, like primarily a video medium, because just watching you click through things and your face is just like the the horror. Well, <laughs> it's like they really are like prehistoric. Like yeah. they have like dinosaur bits on top of their heads. Yeah. Yep. <laughs>